open them up to the uh, book of 1st Timothy 1st Timothy and we'll be looking at just the last part of chapter 1 tonight finishing up the chapter verses 18 through 20 title of tonight's message is fighting a good fight fighting a good fight before we get into our study let me just pray and ask the Lord once again to bless our time in his word Lord, we thank you for the privilege of studying and sowing your word into our hearts tonight. We do believe, Lord, that the time invested in your word is a worthwhile uh, venture, God. We believe that it, it pays dividends not only in this life, but for all eternity. It is your, your spirit that impresses your truth into our hearts, God, and we need that imprinted into our hearts and minds on a regular basis. And so tonight, Lord, we would ask that you would speak to us about the things concerning 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 through 20. Lord, fighting, waging the good fight, fighting a good fight, Lord, spiritual warfare, what, it, what, it's requi- what is required of us in these last days to live our lives for you in a way that would be effective and honoring to you. So, Lord, speak to us tonight, we ask out of your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I uh, mentioned to you in our introduction a couple weeks concerning Timothy, Timothy was a young man that had kind of been brought up under Paul's ministry. And as it turns out, he was a wonderful young man, gifted of the Lord, called by God, but also he had tendency to be a little timid, and Paul often had to encourage him to stir up the gift and to fight the fight and, you know, I charge you, Timothy, preach the word. Don't, don't yield. Don't retreat from your ministry. These are the things that God's given to you and trusted to you. Be faithful with them and be bold with them. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, discipline, a sound mind. So this is the kind of encouragement that Timothy often needed. And you're going to see here that he's left Timothy, as I mentioned last time, that he left him there in Ephesus to kind of set some things in order there in the church and really set Timothy up as the pastor there. And as the pastor and shepherd in that church, he was having to uh, correct some things. And the Apostle Paul had given him some instruction. He talked about some of that in the first few verses about um, those that wanted to be teachers of the law and yet they did not understand what they were saying or the things which they affirmed. They were teaching falsely, talking about... uh, the law, and Paul said, you know, we're under grace. He gave his own example of, of a man being redeemed by the grace of God. And then he says here in verse 18, let's read 18 through 20, and we'll take a look here at, at the thoughts for tonight. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan that they may not that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul commits, he charges Timothy, this charge I commit to you, it's a command. Timothy, this is not an option for you now as a young pastor there in the church. You can't just kind of 
pick and choose the things that you want to do. As God has called you into ministry, you must be faithful with these things that have been committed to you. I charge you, Timothy, this is a command, you must take care of this according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. I want to talk a little bit tonight about spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? Clearly, the Apostle Paul is charging Timothy. Timothy, you've got to fight the fight. And you know, there's, a, there's some wonderful things about the Christian life that we all love to think on and meditate on, the forgiveness of sin. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the mercy of God is a wonderful truth of the gospel the love that God has bestowed upon us, the joy, the peace, the sense of fulfillment, the eternal promises, the, the hope of a, a eternal glory with the Lord. These are all part of the Christian walk and promises that God has given to us. But there is also a warfare. There is also another side, if you will, to the Christian life, which is being faithful in this warfare that we find ourselves in. And this is not the only place that Paul talks about warfare. In many places in his epistles, he talks about this idea that we are spiritually at war. Turn with me, and we'll bounce around just a little bit tonight, but hold your place there in 1 Timothy. We'll come back. But I want to just remind you of some things that Paul has written. Ephesians chapter 6, this is kind of the classic passage about spiritual warfare. And I want us to look at it just briefly and kind of laying a little foundation here. What is this spiritual warfare? Is there such a thing as, as the devil? Is there such a thing as demons? Is there such a thing as a spirit world that, is, that we can't see and yet is affecting our lives? Well, the Bible says that there is. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul wrote this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And he goes on to talk about the various uh, um, elements of God's armor that he has given to us to fight this battle. But clearly there is a spiritual reality. We don't see it. We see only things in the natural. But what the Bible teaches is that those spiritual realities actually do play out and affect what we, you and I, live through in our day-to-day lives. And that there is, a, there is an enemy of our soul. There is a devil. There are spiritual forces in heavenly, that is, spiritual places. And they interact with our lives and they affect. They can influence people. They can influence kingdoms. They can influence cultures. And there's a spiritual agenda that's coming against the life of Christians. And you must be aware of that. You know, it's, it's like any good good battle. I mean, you need to know your enemy. You need to know his tactics if you're going to be effective. Of course, we don't fight him in our own strength. We fight him with the strength that God provides. But it's, it's important for us to understand that we are involved in a warfare. And there's a number of ways that the enemy, Satan, wars against us. There's the whole world system 
whole system of thinking in the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is there seems to be a, an agenda out there, not only in our culture, but even globally. I mean, you know, we'll take a, just a few, for example, the, the whole terrorist type of agenda. That, that just seems to have a spiritual evil behind it. There seems to be something pushing those forces along. People not even thinking rationally. Men, you know, willing to kill themselves and trying to kill as many, you know, innocent people as possible. There's something, something in the mind there that, has, that is not the normal rational thought of men. It's spiritually motivated. That's, you know, something we can all identify. It's something real in our culture today, and we see it. But there, you know, some things are more subtle, but yet they are just as evil and coming against us. How many of you noticed that prayer is no longer allowed in the schools today? You know, it doesn't, doesn't, I mean, at a time when, you know, you saw what happened in, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, at a time when prayer seems to be so desperately needed in the life of our schools, in the life of our young people, and yet, it's illegal to pray. It's illegal to speak about Jesus Christ. It's, it's illegal for us, for example, as a church, to go onto a campus of high school where they are desperate for the gospel. Young people just so needing the things of God, and yet we cannot freely go and speak about Jesus Christ. There are other things that seem to be, you know, uh, sexual education and the passing out of condoms and the homosexual agenda and alternate lifestyles. These seems, things seem to be all easily uh, spoke of and, and kind of find their way into the hearts and lives of young people through the schools. And yet, you can't come in and pray. You can't, uh, you know, preach and, and teach on Jesus. It has to be a student-led thing. And there's just, it just seems to be a whole agenda. And there is. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. There is a spiritual tactic. It's not just, you know, people not thinking properly. It's a spiritual force that is engaging our culture, that is coming against not only the believers but against the whole world, looking to destroy men's opportunity to have relationship with God. There is indeed a world system. There is a devil. There is Satan. I want us to look at that a little bit tonight. And he does war against us, and he's very prevalent through the Scriptures. We see him tempting and, and uh, uh, coming against the people of God throughout the Scriptures. And then we have just our own, the, own, the weakness of our own flesh, just our own sinful nature and the, the weaknesses that we have. That's, that's warfare as well, the, just those temptations of the flesh to, to become selfish, to become you know, immoral, all those things that war and kind of rage against us. The Bible says that you know, the spirit and the flesh, they war against one another. They have different agendas. My flesh has a kind of a self-serving agenda, but the spirit man has a desire to please God and live for God. And those things come against one another. So there is definitely a, a spiritual warfare and, and a fight that we are engaged in. And Paul told Timothy, I, I command you, I commit to you, you must wage this war. And you and I must wage this war. It's not, there's no time for resting or relaxing. It is a, ever, ever about us. And we must be sober-minded. We must be diligent. We must be on our toes, so to speak. For the devil, the Bible says, what? He's seeking whom he may devour, roams about like a roaring lion. He's looking for weakness and vulnerabilities. I want us to talk a little bit about, I don't want to glorify Satan or his ministry, but we are not ignorant of his schemes. So let's take a look at some of what the Bible has to say about him. I want you to turn with me back to the book of Ezekiel. 
Again, as I mentioned, we may move around a little bit here. We don't know a lot about this being Satan other than that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We kind of understand his mission, his agenda. We know that he's evil. We know that Jesus spoke of him as the father of lies. But where did he come from and what, what got him started on this, this mission of waging war against God and the things of God? Well, the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 28 brings a prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 28. He brings a prophecy against the prince of Tyre or the king of Tyre. And the first 10 verses, he speaks about this who was, we believe, a a king, a a man that was was king and prince over Tyre. But he he goes on to say some things. uh, We'll pick it up in verse 11. He goes on to say some things that could not be possible of a man. So what the scriptures are showing us is that there are, there are, there's a spiritual power behind this, this, uh, this man that's sitting as king over this, this region of Tyra. There was a real king of Tyra, but he was influenced by a demonic force, by Satan himself. Because as Ezekiel begins to prophesy against the king, he speaks not only to the, to the natural man, but he speaks also to this spirit being. And we pick it up here in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Well, that does not define any man that we know. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, oink, Onyx, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Clearly, we're not talking about a, a, a physical man here. We're talking about a spiritual being. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you you became filled with, with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries because of the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you, who knew you among the peoples, were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So this being, Satan, was at one time a precious angel, one of the angels, one of the cherubim who covered the actual presence of God and created in perfection and beauty. There's some that think that that he had something to do with the, the worship or the music in heaven because it says there in verse 13, 
the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. It's speculation. We don't know for sure what that means, but there seems to be some sense of musical being within this created being. He was a beautiful being created by God and was in the presence of God till iniquity was found in him. He was lifted up in his own pride. Something of the beauty of his creation kind of got got the better of him. He became infatuated with himself and thought that he could be equal with God. And the Lord cast him down. And not only him, but we know from the book of Revelation that there were others, that other angel, angelic beings that went with him. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. And as I said, we don't have a... You kind of have to pick bits and pieces through the Scripture that we find little, little, little views of this, this uh, Satan and his power, but we do know that his, that his warfare is real. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. We believe, many Bible teachers believe that this, of course, this fiery red dragon is none other than Satan himself. These, these stars of heaven, a third of the stars of heaven were thrown down with him. Stars often uh, represent angelic beings. And so it, some of you have probably heard this is the scriptural foundation for that idea that Satan took a third of the angels in his rebellion and God cast him out of heaven, cast him away from the presence of the Lord. He was cast to the earth. And Satan and those angels now represent his demonic force and they are at work in the earth waging war against God. Men are the battlefield, if you will, because men are precious to God. And so Satan and his angels, his demons, look to wage war against the things of God. It says that that is, uh, he came down, um, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. That woman was the nation of Israel ready to bring the Messiah to devour her child as soon as it was born. And it goes on to talk about how the woman fled to the wilderness and God has... God basically continued his plan and program, even though Satan has been resisting God's plan since then and continues to do so today. So this is a little background of who Satan is and what his forces are. We don't know all the details, but we know that he wages war against the people of God. We also know that he does not have free reign. Although he is a powerful angelic being, he has not been given free reign on the earth. There are several places in Scripture where Satan has to actually ask permission to torment or test certain individuals. The book of Job, we don't have time to look at it, but if you read Job 1, it talks about this exchange between Satan and God. And God gives Satan permission, limited permission, to go ahead and afflict Job. Of course, God uses all of this to further glorify himself, to further raise up in Job the, that which he desired for him. And, of course, today it's a wonderful passage for all of us because it encourages all of us when we go through difficult times. God was working. So even though God may allow Satan to afflict, remember Paul. 
Paul said, I was afflicted. There was a thorn in my side, right? It was a, a messenger sent from who? From Satan to buffet me. And I prayed three times that the Lord would remove it. But he said, no, my grace is sufficient. It was allowed lest I become too haughty in my mind because of the greatness of the revelations that were revealed to me. This was allowed in his life to keep him needing God and keep him humbled before God. So God, even though Satan has opportunity to wage war against us, God is still sovereign and in control. Remember Jesus when he spoke to Peter in Luke 22. I'll read it to you. He said, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. You remember Peter denied the Lord Jesus. And right before that, this is when Jesus alerted him. Satan has asked to sift you. Satan would like to destroy you, but I've interceded. I've prayed. And you're going to be restored. And when you do, strengthen your brethren. God was allowing this and that, that temptation that Peter failed, the test, but he was eventually restored. Remember when Jesus was resurrected, he restored Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. And there was this restoration and a recommissioning of his ministry. And all of this was used for the glory of God. This too becomes an encouragement to us who have failed the Lord at times, to us who have not been able to keep those promises that we've made to the Lord. Peter said, oh, Lord, I'll never deny you. Well, he did three times. But God used all of that to to further strengthen Peter, to further strengthen Peter for his ministry. Peter had pride, didn't he? Oh, I'm strong in myself. Oh, I'll never deny you. Peter had, God had to work, kind of wring that out of him. And the Lord allowed that warfare to kind of mold and shape Peter's life and spiritual character. And then when he was restored, he was even more effective and was able not only to go on in his ministry, but to strengthen others. And he provides strength to us. Amen. There's an encouragement to me today to know that, man, if, if Peter can make it, you know, there's hope for me, right? If, if, if David can make it, you know, there's hope for us. If, if Paul can make it, there's hope for us because we fall short as well, just as some of our heroes of the Bible. So there's spiritual warfare taking place all about. Paul said we war against, not against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces. The Bible also says, and I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible also says that God is the one who is determining just what kind of warfare you're allowed to go through. And that's an important point. As we talk about spiritual warfare, it's important to recognize that God in His sovereignty still holds the reins on Satan and his demonic forces. We're going to look at uh, verse 13, but before we go, let me quote you quickly out of James. You're there in 1 Corinthians, but hear this in James 1, verse 12 through 15. I'll read it quickly. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So even though there is spiritual warfare about us and sometimes the enemy comes and brings temptations to us, things that would lure us away from God, don't say that God's tempting you. Even though God does allow these things, these things are not done by God, but rather permitted by God in order that we might grow strong and also uh, endure them, overcome them. And God's given us grace to do that. And that's what I want you to look at here in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, any temptation that comes against your life, it's common to man. You're not, oh, you just don't understand. I have a very unique situation. I hear that a lot, you know. Pastors, we hear that. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. This is really, I, I have a very different situation. Well, it's... it's it's not really that different. It's common to man. Oh, no, you don't understand. We really, you know, people, typically it's people trying to justify some compromised life. You just don't understand, you know. It, it, we really love each other and, the, you know, these things that you hear. It's a unique situation. Well, it's, it's not unique. There's nothing new under the sun. Every temptation that comes against us, it's, it's the kind of thing that comes against all men. Men are tempted by, their, by the weakness and we all have that same weakness. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Don't think of your temptation as unique to you and stronger than what anybody else is facing. No. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God ultimately keeps sovereign reigns on His creation. Yes, there is evil. Yes, it works against the children of God. But God will not allow temptation to overtake you. You'll only be tempted by what God knows you can bear. Now, sometimes I think God's got more confidence in me than, I, than He should. <laughs> Lord, are you sure I can bear this? Uh, this seems to be a little much. But God knows. And God is working to, to build and to strengthen and to equip. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just like raising children. You know, you have to... I, I've got, you know, kids coming into adulthood. I'm in that stage in my life where my, my oldest is getting ready to turn 22. I've got a 20-year-old 20, 20 and then a couple of teenagers. And I'm starting and beginning to feel, you know... I, you know, I've got my oldest one, 22, just graduate, graduated from college. She wants to live on her own. She wants to get an apartment with her friends, you know. And it's just, and, I, and, and I'm like trying to, no, no that's not going to work. No, no, you, you, can't, you can't afford that. No, no, wait, you better come home, you know. And I'm trying to hold on to her and trying to make sure that, you know, I can help her manage. I've been doing it her whole life, right? But, you know, I'm beginning to understand, Lord, it's, it's you know, She's going to have to get out there and experience some of this on her own. I won't be able to protect her from every difficult situation, from every mistake, from every, you know, uh, credit card that she might run. Who knows? I, I, she's not doing anything like that. I'm just, I'm worried about it, you know. Gosh, she doesn't know how to handle money yet. She's, you know what? But you know what? She's going to have to learn. She's going to have to get out there and experience some life. And so there's... And God is the same way in this, but, but in, with, in, with a much greater perspective and a much more loving and, and really powerful way. But in the same way, He knows just how to balance our lives, just what you need to be strong. 
but not too much to destroy you. But God, God, and God is orchestrating that in your life. No temptation is coming against you that God has not allowed, but with it, he'll provide ways of escape, whether it's temptation, whether it's trial or difficulty. God is managing these things. Yes, it's warfare. Yes, it's difficult, but God is tempering that with grace and with love and with the Holy Spirit and with his word and with the body and fellowship of of believers. And God is giving all that you need pertaining to life and godliness. So yes, there's warfare. And I want us to be honest and say, you know, it's a struggle. It's difficult. Things come against us. And I do believe there are spiritual forces that do those things. But let us not get discouraged. And let us not be overrun and overwhelmed. Let us not forget the promises. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm right there to make sure that the enemy doesn't run over you. Yes, I'm, we may allow some, some fighting. Yes, there may be some, some warfare. There may be some difficulty. But God is working on our behalf to give us the victory which we have in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Back to 1 Timothy. He tells Timothy to fight the fight. Don't get discouraged, Timothy. Don't be overwhelmed. Yes, there's warfare, but God has called you to this. God has committed you to this. He commands him to fight. And notice what he says again there in verse 18. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. It's, it's as if he's saying, Timothy, you need to fight. You need to fight the fight that God has previously ordained for you. God has, God has called you to a ministry. God has equipped you to do something. And that's the fight that you need to be fighting. That's the warfare that you need to be waging. You know, God hasn't called us to do, to do it all. Aren't you glad? I don't have to save the world. You know, as a pastor, I only have to shepherd the lives that he's entrusted to me. But, but I'll tell you what, with those lives, I need to be faithful. With what he's given, I need to be diligent. With what he's entrusted to me, I need to be a good steward. He's not saying, Timothy, you've got to go out and conquer the world for Christ. But he is saying, you need to do that which God has called you to do, just as was prophesied over you previously. Fight that fight. You've been called to pastor. You've been called to teach his word. You've been called to shepherd God's people. Do that well and do it with those that God has given to you. And so it is for all of us. It's important to fight the fight that he's called us to. If you fight, you go out picking your own fights, you know, it could be a little overwhelming. But if, but if you find that place that God has called you to, to serve in, there's going to be grace. There's going to be power. There's going to be the ability. You know, sometimes you think, well, gee, how did I end up in this mess? Well, you need to understand. Well, if, if you're called to, if you're a mother and you've got a strong-willed child, that's, that's the one God gave you. <laughs> you know, and God thinks you can manage that warfare and you're going to have to raise that child. If you're a... You know, if you're in, a, you're in a difficult marriage, oh, you just don't understand. It's so unreasonable. So, oh, so. No, <laughs> that's, that's the marriage you're in. That's the one God's 
called you to do well in. If you're in any kind of a ministry that God has entrusted to you, believe me, there's going to be times when it seems like you should give up. It seems like it would be easier to give up, throw in the towel. You've got to wage war. Don't forget, Timothy, this, what, you're, what, God, what you're doing was prophesied over you previously. God calls us to wage specific warfare. Previous prophecies that were previously made. We don't have time to turn to it, but an example of that, if you're taking notes, Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. It talks about when the Holy Spirit set Saul and Barnabas aside for the ministry and the church laid hands on them and sent them out. Paul says, uh, talking about prophecies previously made concerning you. Here's the way God works in His church. God calls men and women to specific tasks. Now, there are, there are things that all of us are called to, gen, the general revealed will of God. All of us are called to, to love God. All of us are called to love one another. All of us are called to, to endeavor to live holy lives. All of us are called to, to communion, to prayer, to the study of His Word, right? Those are things that all of us are called to. But there are also specific things that God has called each of us to, whether it be being a faithful husband or wife or mother or father or employee or minister in the church or children's worker or someone helping on sound or whatever God has called you, someone faithful in the workplace to be a light and salt and witness. Wherever God's plugged you in, there's something that He's endeavoring to do through your life. And in the case of Timothy, this understanding actually came through prophetic utterance. Someone prophesied over him and said, God has called you, set you aside to do this work. It doesn't always happen that way for all of us. Some of us, you know, God may, someone may speak a word of prophecy over you. The Holy Spirit is still capable of doing that. And I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available today. And oftentimes they do work to help confirm God's calling in the life of his people. But ultimately that calling has to be known. God reveals it to you. Oftentimes it will begin with a desire in you. For he is at work in you both to will, that's you, your will, and to do of his good pleasure. The Spirit of God will give you spiritual desires, those things that he desires for you to do. And he also gives you the power to do them. It may not come, well, no one's ever really prophesied over me. That doesn't mean that God hasn't called you. That doesn't mean that God hasn't gifted you or entrusted something to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit speaks into your own heart. And truly, prophecy is not supposed to be directive in nature. It's supposed to be confirming in nature. It's supposed to confirm that which God has already revealed in your own heart. I didn't, I didn't get into ministry because someone prophesied and said, hey, God's calling you to be into ministry. Wow, total shock. I had no idea. I don't even want to be in ministry. Okay, you, prophetic word came. I guess I have to get into ministry. No. There was already something in my heart. God has already long back stirred up desires in my heart to serve Him in this way. And then as I began to desire that, that desire grew. And as I began to, to, to give place to that and to, to be diligent with that, that grace began to grow and grow. And then, you know what? Prophecy did come. People did begin to have, you know, I just believe the Lord's given me a word for you. And it would confirm that which was already stirring in my own heart. And then the Holy Spirit, through the body of Christ, confirms what he's doing. Paul said, if any man, he said, we'll see this later in Timothy. He said, if any man desires to be a bishop or an or a overseer, 
he desires a good thing. If a man desires the position of a position of, of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's a good. You can go. It's it's okay to desire spiritual things for your life. Oh no, I don't want to presume. God has. I don't know if God's called me to that. It's okay to desire serving God. It's all right to long to be useful to the Lord. Don't worry. He'll confirm. He'll establish that. He'll. He'll find that direction. You know, well, I don't know where. I'm not sure how. When will it happen? God knows all of that. It starts with the desire, and you begin to pray on that, and you begin to seek that, and you begin to prepare yourself, take practical steps that you can take to make your life available to that. And then God will do the confirming. The Holy Spirit will confirm. There will be little prophetic words. People will have a scripture that just so speaks to what you're considering. And ultimately, the church will eventually begin to notice, you know what, God's called this person. God's gifted this individual. And when, when, when the Lord sent us up here to, to plant this work here in Monrovia, it wasn't, you know, hey, I've got this great idea. Anybody want to go? You know, I'm going to go try and start it. No, it was a whole, there was a, there was a church that said, we're going to send this man out. This is, we, we believe God's called him, and I believe God had called me, and together... They laid hands on us and commissioned us to this work. This is the way God works. And that's what Paul is trying to remind Timothy of. Undoubtedly, Timothy was having a hard time. He was a young man. He's in this church that's got false teaching going on. And Paul, the apostle, you know, has just left him behind. Okay, just deal with it. It's like, oh, man, you know, what do I... And, and Timothy might have been feeling a little intimidated. And Paul is saying, hey... Don't forget, you were called to this. God, prophetic word was given to you many times. The laying on of hands, you were prayed for. You've been called by God. You know this, Timothy. Do what God's called you to do. Fight the fight. Get out there and clean this mess up. You're going to have to deal with this. God's given you that grace. Sometimes you just have to walk in it. Sometimes you have to just say, you know, this is what I believe God's called me to do, and I'm just going to have to walk in the confidence that he's with me. Not a self-confidence. Not my own boldness, but a confidence that God is in this work. That God wants this work accomplished, and He's called me to do it. And that's what Timothy, that's what Paul is trying to stir up in Timothy. Fight the fight. He goes on to say in verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. I'm going to close here. We won't talk about the shipwreck and the turning over to Satan of Hymenaeus and Alexander, Hymenaeus and Alexander. But I will just close with this having faith and a good conscience. Faith has to do with, and you know this, faith has to do with what you believe. It has to do with doctrine. What, what is the doctrine of your faith? What are the things that you believe? Paul's saying, Timothy, this is, this is how you're going to wage the war, having faith. You're going to have to believe the things of God that are proper and right according to doctrine and a good conscience. You're going to have to live right before God. It, it has to do with faith being right doctrine and a good conscience being right living. And Paul often told Timothy to preach the word, guard the word, Draw nourishment from the Word, preach, preach it, teach it, use it for correction, 
Your faith has to do with what you believe. It has to do with your doctrine. And it's so important that if we're going to wage warfare today, if you're going to be effective in this battle that you're, that you're in, whether you like it or not, realize it or not, there is, there is spiritual forces at work. And you must have proper faith. You must believe the truth. It's the truth that gives you the strength that you need. If you're, if you're not aware of what God's done for you, if you don't know God's Word, you're going to be very vulnerable. Remember Jesus when He was tempted by the devil? What did He come back with often? It is written. It is written. It is written. The Word of God, that doctrine is so important. That's why we take so much time to look at it verse by verse, pull it apart. We want to understand the truth of God's Word, that our faith would be built strong. Faith cometh by hearing hearing by the Word of God, and a good conscience. A good conscience, I I think of two things. A good conscience, you know what a conscience is. It's that part of you on the inside that kind of acts as a barometer to your your conduct. And when you're a born-again Christian and the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of you, your conscience is awakened to to the things of God. And when you do something that your conscience has trouble with, that's your... That might even be that way of escape that we talked about earlier, huh? Don't go there. Bad turn, bad decision. Ah, that's my conscience warning me, protecting me. Paul says, hey, you've got to live with a good conscience. Don't, don't compromise your conscience. Don't, don't, get, don't be meddling in sinful things. Don't have some secret sin in your life that defiles your conscience. You want to walk pure before the Lord. You want to have a clean conscience before God. That doesn't mean I walk in perfection. I may stumble, I may fall, but I confess that and I immediately get forgiven and reestablish that clean conscience before the Lord. And my life is lived in the light, not secretly in darkness. So to be effective in the, in the warfare, we must have faith, right doctrine. We also must have a clean conscience. We must live holy before the Lord and live lives obedient to the Word of God. That's one part of a clean conscience and the other part of that Good conscience, in my mind, is free from the condemnation of the past. One of the things the enemy wants to do, the devil, is to try and make you feel like your past hinders what God can and wants to do in your life today. How can you, how can you be a past? How can you be in ministry? How, who do you think you are? Don't you, you know what you've done. What about the past failure? What about this? What about your mistake? What about you? And all that condemnation, the guilt of the past can sometimes shadow and hinder, limit the effectiveness of what God has for you today. And I believe that God has given us a clear conscience, that the grace of God is sufficient. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The grace of God is to give you a clear conscience. You don't have to live under the shadow of the past. You don't have to live with the condemnation or the worry of you know, what you used to be or what you've done uh, you know, before or even, you know, even as a Christian, things that you've done. The enemy uses all of that to try and discredit you for any usefulness today. Paul is saying, faith and a good conscience are your weapons in this warfare. Believe the right doctrine. Believe the right things about God. Believe His Word. And keep your conscience pure and clean in that the way that you live and conduct your life, but also free from the guilt and shame of your past. God has set you free. 
Now go and sin no more. Go. I mean, look at the ones God used, right? We just talked about Paul in, in a few verses before. Last week we looked at it when he said, I'm, of, the, of sinners, I am chief. You know, God used me as an example. If he can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. I was an enemy of the church, but now I'm an apostle of the church. So this speaks to conscience. Don't let the weight of your past. Uh, God set you free from that. Praise the Lord. The grace of God is alive to, to work today. And nothing can hinder what God has for you as you walk and serve Him in faith and a good conscience. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You just for uh, Your Word again. We, we, we didn't look at a lot of verses tonight, Lord, but we, we did look at um, a number of things concerning spiritual warfare. And I think it's important, Lord, to have a foundation to know who our enemy is, that we would not be ignorant of him or his schemes and devices. And so, Lord, we're, we're mindful tonight that our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but that you've called us, and not just Timothy, but all of us have been charged and commanded to wage warfare and to be a good soldier for the Lord Jesus. And so, God, we want to understand what that means and we want to understand what it is to wage that warfare. And tonight, Lord, we are thankful. We believe that faith and a good conscience are things that will keep us in the fight and will keep us victorious, Lord. Help us, God, in our faith to not only to study and believe what's right, but also, God, a clear conscience to do it, to walk out and live out this faith that you've called us to to serve you, Lord, with all our hearts. And God, for your grace to cover us for the past and also, God, to, to restore us during those times that we fail. We trust you, Lord. We are just jars of clay, vessels of dust, Lord, filled with the glory of God. So have your way in us, Lord, and help us to, to wage that which you've set before us, Lord to be faithful, to be good stewards. Lord, all of us have been called. All of us have been entrusted with things from you that we are to do faithfully. God, help us. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us not to become overrun. Help us to be mindful that you are with us, that the sovereign God of the universe is ever-present. Jesus is ever-making intercession for us. Just as he interceded for Peter, he intercedes for us. And Lord, that there is no temptation that will come against us except that which you would provide a way of escape. And so, Lord, we thank you for these promises. We stand on them tonight in Jesus' name.